Hell no. Nice going, pal. You've just unleashed the fury of the new and improved Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour, starring Greg Lestraps. The show that used to give you an inexplicable urge to crochet macrame potholders, but now makes you feel like you're getting blown by a $3,000 a night call girl with a mouthful of coke. So unbuckle your saddles, ladies, because you're about to ride bareback with the host of the new and improved Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour, starring Greg Lestraps. This guy, you dingleberry. All right. Welcome to the new and improved Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour starring Greg Lestraps. I'm your host, Greg Lestraps. Uh, I don't know if you can hear the banging, the hammering in the background, but that's because there it is. Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour under construction. Things are happening. It's all a changes in the air, people. It changes. Your mind is about to be blown. What? What's this new sexy voice all up in my ears? You're saying to yourself, what happened to Martin? I've got Buffy season six episode, whatever, all queued up because isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? (laughs) Look, we all love Martin. We all love that soothing voice of his. It's like a, a warm, fuzzy blanket and a big mug of hot cocoa with honey on top. But did Martin ever stop to think that maybe some of his fans are driving while listening to his podcast, that maybe that soft, uh, cozy voice of his might cause his adoring fans to wrap themselves around a tree a few blocks from their house? Because (laughs) we all know that most auto accidents happen within a few miles of home. Yeah. Yeah. He's more than happy to tell you that the first book he read, and I mean really read, was The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. But let me ask you something. Has he ever once asked you what your favorite book is? Sure, he'll tell you all about his trips to Vegas. But has he ever invited you along for the ride? No. He takes that beat-up call girl Chanel... And let's face it, as much as he pays her, she'd better be his favorite person in the whole goddamn world. How many times have we heard that, dear listener? How many times? How many times has he spit on your loyalty by constantly reminding you that Chanel, not you, Chanel, is his most favorite person in the whole goddamn world? Yeah. Has he even given you a nickname? No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. No, he has not. Well... That ends right now. Greg is here, ladies and gents. Greg is not just talking. Greg is listening. You are no longer anonymous. I henceforth dub thee, my fans, Greg Yolks. Greg Yolks. Hello there, Greg Yolks. Where my Greg Yolks at? Greg Yolks in the house. Sorry, baby. I've got some Greg Yolks in your face. Feels nice, doesn't it? It feels right. That's because Greg knows you better than Martin ever could. Greg is the Martin you always wanted. You you just didn't know it. Well, here I am, folks. Greg Yolks. I can fly higher than an eagle with you as a wind. Beneath my 
You feel good about yourself? Wait, I'm not done yet. Wings. Yes, I do feel good about myself. Do you feel good about yourself? I, Where did you come from, by I, the way? Do you, that's my point. I've, I've, been, I've literally been sitting here the entire time. I didn't even notice you. You know what? Maybe I don't think the Greg Yolks noticed you either. You know, that's you. You're just going to be honest. I think you've just described our entire relationship. Yeah. It, it Greg might, Yolks. It might be the very reason that I started a podcast uh-huh. because I grew up with a big brother who didn't notice me. Do you ever think about that? <laughs> that's 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 good. That's now, good. Now, but but uh, you're listen, welcome. Well, thank you. Because you said you told me you say, hey, show up at 10 o'clock. I have some ideas I want to try out. And then you said it in, in a tone like, hey. I've got a few ideas I want to kick around, and, mm-hmm. I, and, and that sounds like fun. Yeah. Next thing I know, you've uh, you've you've done a whole new theme song, and uh, you've got this. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got a, you've got a whole you've got a whole monologue. <laughs> yeah. You're clearly not trying out. You've clearly you've got things on your chest. I no, actually, they're off my chest now. I'm kind of I'm kind of over it. And you know, as far as Make a Wish <laughs> goes, I mean, here's the other thing. I wasn't going to say this, <laughs> but <laughs> but as as Make a Wish goes. You know, first of all, the fact that they called me was mm-hmm. was mortifying. The yeah. fact that I had to play along, like you really were sick. And, you know, I hope they hear this. Well, in a way, I was sick because I hadn't, when I called them, I hadn't had my coffee yet. And, you know, I can't really, I'm not really 100% until I've had my uh, my first cup of coffee. No, and then for you to go the, 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 the even to go the distance of literally right now, I, out, outside of these walls, you've hired some construction workers i well it you know it kind of goes with the whole i mean they can stop anytime you got hey you can stop oh they stopped oh shit that's done (laughs) all right you can host the show you're here yeah okay so now is your problem now we'll start whatever you were doing this this is obviously the beginning of the show welcome everybody to the martin lestrap show podcast mike go ahead and snack this is so easily distracted for a host I, you're not wrong. You're, but you're, you are very, you are, you are, you are very talentedly distracting. <laughs> I have a kid who's like that. Yeah. So welcome everybody to the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour. My name is Martin Lestraps, and I'm very pleased to be here, uh, not just by myself, but I'm actually sitting here uh, with the with with a, with, a, with a flesh and blood member of my very own family, mm. my my big brother, both both. Uh, both in, in figuratively and and literally, uh, Greg Lestrap. I've mentioned Greg. I, I think I've mentioned you in passing more than once on the show, but this is actually uh, this is your finally at finally. long last. This finally. is I don't know. At this point, I've been doing the show for it's. I think it's approaching. It's probably approaching two years if I looked at the calendar. God, it seems so much longer than that. And I was sort of hoping that uh, I would get much further along before I actually brought you on the show. But yeah, here you, we are. Every every time I saw you, you kept sort of nagging me about when you were going to be on the show. <laughs> so That's not true. I'm like a vampire. I need to be invited in <laughs> to your home. And the podcast being your home. Um, but, you know, in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in all seriousness, I've actually wanted to have you on the show for... For a while, but I always knew that uh, uh, I knew that when we eventually did do it, it would be it would be fun because there's a, there's a gazillion things to talk about, both both things that uh, you've done in your own life, things that we've collaborated on together, mm-hmm. and things that you're doing currently, you know, creatively yeah. moving forward. There's a lot of fun stuff to talk about, and I think it's worth mentioning. There's a ton of things to snack on. 
That's entirely true. What are you snacking on right this second? I'm eating some half-popped popcorn. I got it at Trader Joe's, which are very nice. It's kind of like uh, they're kind of like corn nuts. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of uh, cheesy-ish powder, powder sort of thing. Yeah, like at the moment the I'm buttery. eating a pre-shelled pistachios. Is pre-shelled with is, uh, yeah, those are from Costco or just shelled? I don't Costco. know. Those. Mm-hmm. I don't usually have snacks. I don't know why they're they're delicious and they're not they're not loud at all. We have full on entered the snack eating portion of the day, which is you know you've already brought your own wrinkle to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think just the uh, the thought of having to host an entire episode of a podcast made me want to binge eat. Well, that's very that's very kind of you to think of uh, you because you were talking this about this is me. such hard work because I don't a- know how you do it, Martin. <laughs> I, t- <laughs> I I I make it look easy is what you're what that's exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Well, technically, you have that same effect on Chanel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, I, I guess I do make her look easy. That's um, that was one of the conditions of us getting married. <laughs> so for a for a good deal of your life and all of my life, we grew up yeah, together in the same city, in the same house. But before I was born, mm-hmm. uh, for anybody keeping score, you were born first, about yeah. ni- about yeah. nine years ahead of me, nine and a half years. Let me ask you this question because I never I can never quite pin the year down. What year were you born in? 1968, summer that, of 1968, that's always, July 13th. That's always the year that I sort of say, but then I'm never certain. Okay, so 1968. Um, and where did you grow up? Because, I mean, you grew up, again, you, we, we both grew up in the Inland Empire and Ranch Cucamonga, but before that, you didn't grow up I did up a there. lot more growing up than you had yeah. before then. Yes. when we moved to the Inland Empire, you were a year old. Mm-hmm. Um, I, on the other hand... I was I was almost raised kind of like an army brat, although we don't have military <laughs> parents. I uh, I only just realized this because my kids, um, you know, one of my kids is now in middle school. She went to the same elementary school. She started in kindergarten, went you know fifth grade, and then uh, Scarlet, and then Piper is also the same thing. She's in fourth grade, and she's gone to the same school from kindergarten until the present. Will likely go to the same middle school as her sister. <clears throat> Excuse me, that was a. Uh, popcorn thing anyway um i on the other hand went to six different elementary schools no kidding yeah i didn't know that yes i did we moved around constantly and we were we'd even moved around i think probably once or twice before i started school so i lived in a lot of different places and it i guess it you get good at making new friends Mm -hmm. A skill at which I apparently have evolved beyond. <laughs> you've you've gone almost all the way around where you are amazing at not making new friends. It's it's just the same boring ass old friends I've had for <laughs> decades. Now. I'm just kidding. My friends are wonderful. <laughs> don't worry, they don't listen to the show. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> And speaking of which, would you please stop telling your friends not to listen to the show? I think at, I think at least a few of them might actually enjoy it. I don't. I don't have to tell them not to listen to the show. That's the thing. You don't have to tell them, but you do I, at I every don't. turn. I, yeah, I do. I don't have to, but I do. Which is but yeah. I, do. I go the extra mile for my brother. What are what? Are, so so Rancho Cucamonga obviously is one of the cities you grew up in. But what, what were some of the others? Yeah, that there? was a and that was a city as a child that I lived in the longest and and until adulthood so we started out um i was born in los angeles los feliz 
if you, you know, it's sort of, you can call it Los Feliz or you can call it East Los Angeles. Basically on Sunset Boulevard where the big Scientology building is, mm-hmm. the big massive complex. Yeah. Across the street, there's a Kaiser Permanente Hospital and that's where I was born. Okay. In 1968, I believe. Uh, well, my my grandfather, my maternal our maternal yeah. grandfather, lived somewhere off of Sunset over there, and I, I'm pretty sure they were just visiting him when uh, our mom went into labor, and ended up. We, we'd have to ask them about it. Yeah. I wasn't around. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was born there. Uh, I rem- my earliest memories as a child are of living in an apartment complex in San Pedro. It's all very vague. I have little flashes of, um, like, I have a memory a memory of a mouse being held up. <laughs> like, our, our father caught a mouse. I remember taking baths in that sink, in the kitchen sink. I remember being carried up the stairs by one of, one of our parents or a grandparent or maybe Uncle Mondo or Uncle mm-hmm. Phil. <clears throat> But it's all very hazy until, um, actually, I have one memory. Mo- our mom, our mother, mommy, we call her. Sure. She had a friend, um, and she would take us to visit. Uh, she would she would go to visit her friend. She had a son that was around my age, and we would play Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Mm-hmm. I remember this, but I, but I don't remember the kid much. I don't remember his name, but I remember the mom's name. Her name was Sheila. And she would wear a T-shirt <laughs> without undergarments. And part of her body had worn a hole <laughs> through one side of the T-shirt and protruded out of the T-shirt. And I, I found this absolutely mesmerizing. <laughs> And I can picture it to this day, and, mm-hmm. it was, uh, and it's definitely, I, you know, you have a, you have a, t- you have a certain things that you like, and that I, I'm, I guess I'm sort of drawn to that look. Mm-hmm. The Sheila, you yeah. call it. I'm being really cryptic because my <laughs> eight year old is in the room. So hopefully, everybody followed along. I suspect. With that. I suspect they followed along yeah. with you. Yeah, so there was Sam Pedro. I believe the next stop was. Um. um Paramount, dude. I'm not even sure where Paramount is. It's in California. <laughs> I'm guessing in LA County, maybe. That would, maybe that would be my guess. And then uh, Garden Grove. We made, you know, we were definitely in Orange County then. And that's where I start. I remember my kindergarten teacher. I remember. Uh, then we moved. <laughs> we were only there for a year. I only went to uh, to kindergarten in Paramount because we moved to Garden Grove and then that's where I went to first and second grade. I remember my teacher there, uh, Mrs. Phillips. I was in a combination class. It was first, second, and third grade. I did first and second grade there. And then we moved again to Anaheim Hills. I went to one school for third grade, but in the time between third grade and fourth grade, they had built a new school that was closer to the house. Went to another elementary school for fourth grade. Then we moved to Rancho Cucamonga, and then I went to Carnelian Elementary uh, for fifth and sixth grade, and then junior high and high school. You're welcome, by the way. You're welcome for that. 
brief history of my. No, you are welcome for living in Rancho Cucamonga. Oh, that was sort <laughs> of. Thanks. Unknowingly, that was my my doing. And then I went to Chafee College for a couple of years, and for no, you know, I took a lot of film classes. <clears throat> you, I set my own. I was my own counselor. <laughs> so you were always, um, you you know, my all of well, I, I, many of my memories of you growing up were of you being very creative, whether it was with movies or drawing, or you. I you know, I've talked about this before on the show that you were. I, I learned about comic books through you because you had a, a vast collection of, of comic books. That oh, I were... can tell you how I got that collection. Oh, Jim. please do because I just remember this. I remember this huge, wonderful collection. It was it was sort of on a shelf so mm-hmm. high that I would have to you know get on a piece was, of furniture to it get It wasn't there. so high; it was just high enough to be out of your reach. Yeah, that's. I always kind of assumed that, which yeah. made it all the more you were very handsy. enticing. And so then, so it, so when you would occasionally. Give me, you know, a little bit of sort of supervised car blanche. Mm-hmm. It was always a, a, it was a wonderful thing that I can go through these. Not only was and... it a wonderful thing, my comic books always came back with crayon embellishments. <laughs> <laughs> and for the second time, you're welcome. And then I would store them higher. Even. So where where did they come from? These comic books. <laughs> oh, so the comic books. Okay, so our great grandfather, uh, our mother's maternal grandfather, Demetrio. Used to used to sell stuff at the swap meet. He sold like shells and wooden sculptures and uh, different things that were procured from the sea. <laughs> I don't know where he got them, but he had all this stuff. And and they lived in Watts, California, um, which is the Gijeto, <laughs> home of the Watts riots. <clears throat> home of the Watts riots. And he survived. He was almost killed during the Watts riots, actually. His life was spared. Um, I remember his... I remember the house in Watts um, that he and our great-grandmother lived in, Charlotte, Carlota. Um, And all the way in the back was the creepiest room in the entire house because it was the storage room where he kept all of his swap meat stuff. So he had all the shells. But not only that, there were jars with, like, squids and octopi and... Uh, weird things like that. So it was always very, very scary walking back there. So he, um, when he passed away, our grandmother, they had all this swap meat stuff. So I guess it was, she, she was the one who went in, went, took over the swap meat duties to liquidate the, uh, the inventory. Um, and she would take me with her to the swap meet, which was very exciting because we left when it was dark. It felt like an overnight trip. But it really, I think she left at like five in the morning or something. But it was super, it was dark when we went. I slept in the car. And when I woke up, all around me would be a, a swap meet in full swing. Shoppers, other vendors. And, uh, and back then, I guess <clears throat> people thought it was okay for kids just to wander around swap meets on their <laughs> own. <laughs> Which I did. Uh, I love bread. I don't know if... if if you if you have to know one thing about me, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I love bread. That's all you need to know, really. But I'm going to keep talking anyway. Are you sure we can't stop the, the no. podcast there? We we could, but I'm going to keep talking. But just know that this is really all you need to know. Okay. Everything else is icing. All right, go on. So I would go to the bread place. I would get. I'd ask for some money to go get some French bread. I would get French. I would eat an entire loaf of French bread. You know, I was like eight years old or nine years old or something <laughs> like that. And um, 
I would also, they had a, an office supply <laughs> vendor, which I still, to this day, probably because of this, I can spend all day in an office supply store. I love <laughs> shopping for office supplies. Even if I don't need office supplies, I love the experience of looking at all these wonderful things that have been invented to make our lives more convenient and efficient. <laughs> but I would buy a stack of empty notepads. No lines, just blank pieces of white paper, probably about, you know, three by three by five pad. And they were pretty thick. And I would draw stick figure animations all day. I would probably buy a pencil too. <laughs> and that's what I did. My grandmother was, was hawking the wares and I was just in the car or under the tent or, or canopy or whatever drawing Stickman cartoons. A lot of these Stickman uh, cartoons flew. They had capes. And it was very fun drawing a Stickman that flew through clouds because he stayed in the same place. His cape waved and the clouds went past him. A lot of fun. Anyway, then one day, one of these swap meets, I went to the bathroom. I used the bathroom. As I exited, I'm a polite person. My my mama raised a gentleman, mm -hmm. uh, an older gentleman, or at least older than I was, was walking toward the restroom and I held the door open for him. I mean, it was no big deal. I was leaving anyway. I may as well hold the door open because that's what you do when you're a nice person. What happened? The guy, I wasn't in it for anything. I wasn't trying to make a buck <laughs> and I didn't make a buck, but I did make a dime. He handed me a dime. Now I've got a dime. I've got a dime, and I'm at a swap meet. I was balling. So here I go. I'm walking up and down the aisles looking for some place. I've already bought my notepads. I've bought my French bread. I don't need any of that. I need a new experience. I need to buy something new with my, with my dime. Lo and behold, there was a guy who had just stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of comic books. And my brain just about exploded. Did were you uh, like did like did you know about comic books before you saw his stacks? Um, no, no, I don't know that I did. No, yes, I did. Oh, I'm sorry. It was yes, such a sweet story <laughs> no. right before. No, because I remember having no, and when I was in first grade, when we lived in Garden Grove. I had uh, the Superman. That was 1976, okay. I believe. Oh, sure. The bicentennial year. I was first or second grade. It was definitely that school because I, I was Uncle Sam in a, in a parade, Fourth of July parade in, in, in 1976, our country's bicentennial. And I had the Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Oh, yeah. Uh, special special edition. I love that. I mean, I saw you were copying. I, I was a bit, you know, would you, would you describe me as being someone who's... Uh, very into sports no no you wouldn't i would not on the whole there are sports that i like but tennis. but, you, but i'm not tennis i, love, I tennis. love tennis i love tennis i enjoy track and field i don't do it but i my kids are in track and field i enjoy going to their meets and watching them kick ass uh but no i'm not but muhammad ali nonetheless was a hero of mine I loved muhammad ali totally admired him looked up to him i thought he was an amazing uh, role model and 
you know, and this is a guy who's not afraid to go up against Superman. Because that's Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali would not... If Superman actually existed, Muhammad, Muhammad Ali would totally have taken him on mm-hmm. uh, in a challenge. And in Absolutely. my memory of that book, they went to a neutral territory where Superman would Superman not... Superman did not have any advantage over him. Uh, the, they were just two guys. Yeah, that the yellow sun was not giving him super strength. Mm-hmm. They had to transport those two guys plus an audience <laughs> <clears throat> to some place in space where gravity yeah. was not to Superman's advantage. Yeah. Muhammad Ali won, didn't he? That's my memory of it. I'm not going to give any spoilers. <laughs> Find it, read it. It's amazing. Yeah. That was a that was my and I was also my first um pretty sure that was my first uh Neil Adams Denny O'Neill mm-hmm. comic book. And those guys are my absolute favorite. Com- anyway. So, I find the guy selling comic books at the swap meet. Give him my dime. I pick a comic book. I I don't remember what it was, and you'll know why one comic book doesn't stand out from that day in particular. Sheila? Oh, and it has a different story. (laughs) Robert. (laughs) I go back to to mom's. We called our grandmother mom. Went back to mom's uh, space. She's still selling the stuff. I burn through this comic book. What's my next move, Martin? I don't know. I go back to the bathroom. (laughs) I hold the door open for somebody else. It took a while because I realized, oh, not everybody does this Mm. when a kid. But eventually someone did. They gave, I don't know how much they gave me. Maybe they gave me more. Maybe it was still a dime. It might have even been less than the comic book guy was like, okay, yeah, fine. Take a comic book. Went back, got another comic book. Burned through that one. But now we're at the end of the day. Everybody's packing up to go. I went to the bathroom again, made another piece of change, go back to the comic book guy. He's packing up. And I was like, well, I I wanted to buy one more comic book. I have, you know, a dime or whatever I had. And he said, you know what? Just take them all. (laughs) (laughs) And I did. I took all of the comic books and I immediately, so I started out with a comic book collection of hundreds of comic books. Uh, interestingly, I've never confronted our parents about this. <laughs> but when we moved from Anaheim Hills to Rancho Cucamonga, I mysteriously no longer had a collection of any comic no. books. Yeah, yeah. They they disappeared without a, without a word. Mm. I don't even know if I... I I don't think I would have forgotten about them, but I, I certainly never received any explanation that was to my satisfaction <laughs> about what happened to the comic books. So, you know, I, I my best friend uh, back then was his name is Richard Clark, mm-hmm. who's an outstanding guitar player. He wasn't at this time, but we met on the bus. I knew him as Dickie for most of my childhood. Yeah, that was, that was when I was introduced. He introduced himself to me as Dickie, and I was like, what? No. <laughs> and he said, what? What do you mean? Yeah, that's my name. It's like, where are you from? <laughs> so I just moved here from Indiana. Like, oh. Got, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Dickie, got it. Um, turns out, Dickie was just as excited about comic books as I was, and then it became... It revived my. Then I took my allowance and spent it all on comic books. For a while, built up my comic book collection, and I still, I now still have somewhere in storage have hundreds of comic books. Um, but I, but then at some point when I was about ten years old, our father, 
he always buys like he's he loves technology. And so back then it was like he was he always wanted all the new stuff. So he was the first person, you know, with an eight track, you know, tape deck. He was the, you know, it, it had a condenser microphone mm-hmm. with it and I would make recordings with it. But the condenser mic, for some reason, it gave you an electric shock every time. <laughs> so if you're on carpet and you pick up the condenser mic, you always got an electric shock. That was pretty horrible. And if you put it to your mouth, that was a bad experience. Uh, he would, you know, we'd have the, the coolest record players and, you know, televisions. Now, you know, if you go to our parents' house, mm-hmm. there's everywhere you look, there's a screen for you to uh, <laughs> lose yourself in. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, we he also had, which I was interested in, not only an eight millimeter uh, movie camera, Super Eight movie camera. He had a, proje- a projector, hmm. eight millimeter projector, and an eight millimeter splicing bay, oh. so I could actually edit and look. And there's a little, you know, the, the monitor on mm-hmm. it, so you can see it on the screen what you're editing and make what, your cuts. And what did you know about filmmaking before that? Like, did you have I, a context for filmmaking? I knew nothing. He told me what this, what what it did, and then I figured out the rest of it myself. Um, I realized I didn't like gluing pieces of film together because it. <laughs> always looked horrible when it ran through the projector <laughs> my always it just looked it would jump a little bit you know eight millimeter only has sprocket holes on one side so mm-hmm. so um so i eventually i started just shooting everything in sequence which involved a lot of planning <laughs> and, and what would you shoot Sorry, I need hold on. You yeah, talk get, for a minute while you I get some wash water. down this popcorn. Like, stuff. like I okay. So like here, like, like I wanted to get to this anyway. So I'm glad you're talking about it. But you, 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 uh, you had a love for filmmaking for as long as I can remember. Yes, and uh, and and you know, like I'm only learning just now. Part of that was because our father had mm-hmm. a camera and a projector and stuff. I didn't realize that that we we that our family ever owned anything to to splice together mm-hmm. film so that's why my first thought was like that's interesting but like I don't like I wouldn't even like if you know like like <clears throat> now in 2015 it might be more obvious to a kid what to do with that but it's also no but I know the other thing to keep in mind too is our, no, our dad wasn't like other dad it, not every dad had just because they had a, a camera mm-hmm. didn't mean they had a splicing bay yeah it just meant they probably had a they had a camera and they probably had a projector, mm-hmm. and they were shooting home movies and, yeah. and stuff. And you know, and I just saw this thing. He would use it occasionally to shoot home movies, but there was a lot of time when he wasn't shooting home movies because it was you know you have to go buy the film, mm-hmm. you have to process the film. It's you know it's it's not cheap. It's not like picking up your phone and yeah, which was a good thing you because you were you considered what you were going to shoot. And you thought, okay, I'm going to shoot something now. Is this going to be boring to people? <laughs> and you actually had to think about that before you, because you were throwing money away if you shot anything that wasn't useful or interesting to people. I mean, that didn't stop everybody from shooting really boring ass home movies, but, right? But it, it's something that it's a frame. Of, it's a frame of mind that you don't have now. Whether you're recording music or whether you're making digital films. You have all these options. You have options for for everything. What what it's going to look like for color grading for but but 
the biggest thing is you can shoot forever and it doesn't get any more expensive. Hmm. It's no more expensive to shoot two hours of footage than it is to shoot, you know, three minutes of footage. Mm -hmm. So, so when I started making films, I would make these one reel films and I would go by, there's a little meter on the side that tells you how many feet you've run through and you just know, okay, well, I'm a quarter of the way through, so I've got to jump to this part of the story or, you know, something, <laughs> something interesting, this has to happen. Mm-hmm. But, and I would, and I would use that as a gauge to when things happen. And then you get to the end and it's like, okay, I'm getting close to the end. I have, well, how am I ending this? You know, and you mm-hmm. had to figure out what might be a satisfying ending. You know, I wasn't always successful. <laughs> Sometimes the film ran out before you, you know, you misjudged it a little bit. And then, you know, you're, you're into the leader, you know, <laughs> it just goes to white and it's gone and, oh, well, you know, we didn't get it. Can but. you remember like a particular story that you did on one reel? <clears throat> well, on one reel, the one reel stuff started when I did um, the Jack films. Okay. With our friend Jack Reed. Um, I li- and, literally just watched one of those the other day. Yeah, that's that was kind of the start of. But I was I was much older yeah. than when I was doing that. I was, that was, was that late teens, maybe eighteen. Yeah. That was Ritz camera time. Okay, so that was probably so I had after a, high school. I got a disc. Yeah, after high school, I was getting a discount on film and discount on processing because <laughs> I worked at Ritz yeah. camera. So it was. But before then, I was thrifty. I would go buy the film at thrifty for the camera, mm-hmm. and then which is now Rite Aid, which is now Rite Aid. But then you can still get thrifty ice cream. Yes, thrifty drugstore, and you take it and you you develop the film. And that's the other thing is like when you make it, you can't just go, oh, I want to check that out. Hey, everybody gather around and look at what we just shot. (laughs) No, you shoot it and then you have to wait like a week. (laughs) And then you can finally see the three minutes and 20 seconds that that you shot. Um, But it was very exciting. There was a lot of anticipation. You hoped, oh, my God, I hope I didn't do anything stupid and Mm -hmm. leave the lens cap on or (laughs) do you think? Because if you left the lens cap on and you didn't realize it at the time, you didn't find out until uh, you got the things that that these kids in the the digital age will never appreciate. They yeah, they don't. They well, not only that, it's like I think there's something suffers in the in the creation of films by not having that by having too many choices. Yeah, I think it's good to. I think it's good to have as close to a completed movie in your head mm-hmm. before you start making it. Yeah. As opposed to diving in and discovering as you go. I mean, there's, there's, that's, there's something to be said about that too. Yeah. But it's also, I, I like the limitation of having, you have this much time to, to tell your story, mm-hmm. to, t- you know, to shoot this scene. You have this many takes that you can do it. Otherwise it's going to cost you more money. You're going to have to go out and buy more film. Yeah. And, um, so I think, you know, yeah, I was listening to uh, but even, Robert but, Rodriguez. Yeah, but he, even now, just go just to say, even now when I make a film, I don't. My shooting ratio is pretty low because of yeah. that. I don't shoot a bunch of extra stuff. I shoot what I need and then I move on. Yeah, it, it, he was on uh, Mark Maron's show WTF not that long ago, and he was he was talking about uh, his first film, Desperado. Well, no, 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 El Mariachi, <clears throat> which he very famously made for whatever the number was 5000 you know and, then, yeah. and um and so part of part of the uh you know part of the, the the thing was film was so expensive that he could only reasonably shoot his scenes once and so so the uh, the idea of you know as as, as he mentioned as you referenced he would first shoot something on on video cuz it was cheaper and he, in a matter of sort of like outlining it mm-hmm. but then when he went to film kind of knowing he only had one shot at it because it was expensive and so right. there was more valuable and you couldn't just sort of 
go on and on and on. And I think there is something, you know, maybe storytelling wise and otherwise to to sort of you know uh, appreciating sort of like an economy of of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. And there's and there's and it's exciting to you know you only have this many chances to do it, and mm-hmm. it's 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 like. You know, being, I imagine, at a blackjack table, mm-hmm. you only have so much money mm-hmm. once you, but that's what's exciting about it is I might run out of money before I win money, <laughs> but you know that going into it and it's the same thing. It's like, you know, I have, I, I have to do this in four takes. I can't afford to do it in more than four takes. And then you somehow pull it off. Now, at what or point? You, or you're stuck with what you got. Yeah. If you can't afford to shoot it again, you're editing with that footage at what point did you kind of go from um sort of having fun and shooting film uh and doing little shorts to kind of becoming aware that there was a a certain say craft of filmmaking with with like lighting and directing and things that you would later learn yeah that was that was about okay so that was i'm gonna say that i discovered the the eight millimeter camera earlier than 10 years old because i remember being in fifth grade and that's when i shot my big epic uh the masked bandito (laughs) i remember that it was (laughs) based on a cracked magazine article of the same name uh it was a comic book story about a the masked bandito he was kind of an anti-hero and he wore a beanie that completely covered his face there were no eye holes (laughs) so the comedy of course was he couldn't see anything and he was having sword fights and they were (laughs) and uh and i thought well this needs to be a movie and so i got i uh recruited my friends to be in it um got a lot of use out of the editing bay that one i actually did cut together a lot of it our cousin pj Mm -hmm. was in it playing his uh native american sidekick (laughs) 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 it's a very weird story um and then my friend steve franks who in fifth grade was i I believe in fifth grade he was six two and he's even (laughs) taller now like literally he was he was like the tallest person i'd ever seen ever (laughs) and let alone been in fifth grade with and he played the bad guy and for whatever reason we kind of i think we he wasn't around it wasn't available to, uh, yes piper is tell, reminding me that i told her this story a few days ago so this is fresh <laughs> in my mind um so yeah so he you know what you know your kids whatever he's hanging out with other people mm-hmm. he's not making the movie anymore i have to recast and i replaced this tall slender guy with our uncle mondo (laughs) i was gonna say that was my memory of it yeah so if you want to i mean if you want to know what i'm talking about i made a film about our uncle Mondo. Mm -hmm. it's a document seven minute documentary about our uncle mondo called uncle mondo mojo man that you can check out so you can see who we're talking about totally just the person absolutely changes as much as a person can change (laughs) from one frame to the next um so that was pretty funny um but i also made my own lightsabers in it I discovered that uh, after, <laughs> after, <laughs> okay, the secret's going to come out. After defacing hundreds of feet of archival home family movies, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of got, oh, film's kind of cool. You can do cool things with it. <laughs> you can draw on it with a marker. <laughs> you can scratch the emulsion. And I especially loved scratching the emulsion. And it, and then, you know, Star Wars was still pretty fresh in my mind because it, it was a relatively recent movie, like mm-hmm. a couple of years old, maybe. Yeah, 75, I think. 77. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and, um, and I actually went frame by frame and I took a needle 
and a magnifying glass and I scratched out, I had them sword fighting with broomsticks mm-hmm. and I scratched out, traced over the broomsticks with the needle taking the emulsion off. And then what happens is the emulsion is where the image is. So when you scratch that off, then you're just left with the clear plastic film. So you can see it's transparent. So now the broomsticks are gone. They're just replaced with transparent scratches. And then I took my markers, <laughs> a red and a blue one, and painted one of the uh, scratches red, one of them blue. I don't know. It's The film's so old right now. I don't know if the ink is still on there, but mm-hmm. the emulsion didn't grow back. Do you still own that reel? Our mother discovered it in the garage probably about five or six years ago, but I've yet, I've yet to look at it again. That's exciting. Yeah. I, the thing is, I'm scared to run it through a projector. Oh, sure, Because sure, it's so sure. old. I keep telling myself, you know, I'm going to go to, there's a place in Burbank um, called Super 8 Sound, I believe. Mm -hmm. And they do, that's what, Burbank is a studio town. So we have anything you need to make a movie, you can find in Burbank. And Super 8 Sound does 8 mil. not only do they rent 8 millimeter cameras and they make 8 millimeter film from, uh, they actually convert it. They take 35 millimeter film stock and then then cut it into Mm -hmm. 8 millimeter sized film. So actually, you get eight millimeter film there. You're you're shooting with the same film that they use to make major motion pictures with. I think after and people then, after after they hear this, they're going to insist go that you take the the the, the great the Mass Bandito. Yeah, <laughs> no, hey, you know what? Buy me some gift certificates to Super Eight Sound, <laughs> and I, I'd be happy to do that. But meanwhile, no. So they, they not only do they do that, they transfer that eight millimeter to um, to video format to uh, digital video files. And uh, they have a really great scanner. So at some point, you know, I'll, I'll see what I can do about getting the film transferred and maybe showing it to everybody. I, it'd be very fun to look at it. Again. It would be a, it would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, also growing up, okay, well, one of my very favorite, I, 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 I was going to say one of my favorite memories, but it's like a, it's like a two or three year memory. I don't remember how long it was, but for um, a good deal of my childhood, you performed weekend you, every Sunday, I believe, at, at the Roxy. And yeah, uh, which was a uh, very yeah famous famous club <clears throat> in, in in Hollywood on the Sunset Strip, mm-hmm. and uh, and even before that though I mean you would I don't it, like I mean you were you were singing and acting and doing a lot of stuff on uh, uh, you know uh, you know theater and stage acting mm-hmm. and and I also have very very exciting memories of seeing you on TV as a mostly as a as an extra but where I mean where did so I mean, you know, well and let <clears> me just <throat> mention just so you have a some kind of perspective Please, like a context the, the roxy above the roxy was the super exclusive nightclub called on the rocks mm-hmm. that's where all the celebrities would go and do lots of drugs and <laughs> have lots of booze and that was on the rocks at the time that i was doing this uh, the show at the roxy uh john belushi that was the last place he, he went before oh. he went to the chateau marmont just blocks away and uh died of a heroin overdose and uh and suspiciously your name was never mentioned my name was never mentioned so my name was never mentioned. well so, played yeah, thank you very much yeah. still to this day no nobody asks any questions about it uh but i have nobody all- knows who the person is <laughs> no, oh, no no they do they it's some chick some oh again hat, well chick, played whatever. very uh, nice uh-huh. But uh, but yeah, I so I have wonderful memories of going to the Roxy every. I feel like we'd go on Saturdays for rehearsal, and Sundays it was the live show, and and there was there was like I mean it was it was a kids show, really talented performers. Mm-hmm. I specifically remember, um, uh, Martika was a I, well, you know who who would 
be a, become an international uh, recording sensation with yeah. their song uh, "Toy Soldiers." But I, you know, as a kid, I it was knew a huge it. album. Act, I think that album had like two, like three top ten or number one hits. And even I think yeah. even before that, she was on Kids Incorporated. In fact, there's yeah, a lot of Kids Incorporated. A lot of uh, performers from the show were in Kids Incorporated. Um, a couple. Um, I remember um, uh, Mark Price would would play Skippy on yes, uh, on. Yeah. Family ties, mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know I know there's others that I'm forgetting, but I, but I remember like it was it was a really talented group of kids, and you guys yeah. performed at the Roxy. Um, but how like I mean you didn't just you didn't you didn't just decide you wanted to perform and then end up at the Roxy. So what was the especially at a young age? What was that journey? How in the hell did you even get there? Um, so right around the time that I was making movies, when I started making movies, I started doing stage productions mm-hmm. in Rancho Cucamonga. This was actually a time where there were places to do state community theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's probably like one place now. Um, <clears throat> my first, the first play I was ever in was the San Bernardino Civic Light Opera. I was in a production of Carousel and I just played a random kid who comes on for, <laughs> you know, big numbers. I didn't really do any. I sang, I probably had to sing for the audition. Um, and I don't remember, uh, I don't remember why I decided I wanted to do plays. I just, <laughs> you know what? In Rancho, look, there was not a lot to do there. <laughs> so it might've just been, Oh, Hey, here's, here's a way we can keep Greg busy for the summer. <laughs> and, um, hey, you want to do a play? And and I auditioned and then I got in and I did it. And then I, you know, and then once you do that, it's like you, it's a, you know, it's a great, it's a great experience. Stage, you know, theater is like awesome. It's, mm-hmm. you, you never know what's going to happen. Sometimes you do know what's going to happen, but nobody else knows what's going to happen. <laughs> and then uh, there's also, oh, well, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I'm getting my producers oh. <laughs> whispering in my ear. <laughs> I will, I will. Um so, uh, yeah, you know, and the the, the whole you, people clapping for you <laughs> is very addictive. And, it, and I wasn't even doing anything. I was <laughs> I was just walking from this point to that point while a song played. And maybe I did a little my arms were moving or something. And then at the end, every the whole audience just cla- not just for me, <laughs> not for me at all, really. But I but to try to convince, you yeah. know, nine year old Greg that they're not clapping for him. <laughs> I had done, I think I sang in front of an audience for the first time when I was seven. Uh, it was in a talent show. That was in uh, Yorba Linda, I believe. It's when we lived in Anaheim Hills. Mm-hmm. No, I wouldn't have been seven then. I would have been, I guess it was a little late. <sighs> yeah, nine, eight, nine. I don't know. Uh, I'm losing track. But anyway, I was very young when I first was on stage. That was my first exposure to applause mm-hmm. and people clapping just for me singing a song, a Captain and Tennille song <laughs> called, uh, I, uh, I don't remember the name of it. I might think of it, but I was actually, you know, our dad just put the record on and just started playing the record. And I sang with them basically. <laughs> I just sang along with the record, but I had a microphone, so I was louder than them, which is all that mattered. Um, and then I think, and then after that, it was like the next thing I think I did was probably the play. Um, I'm thinking of Skylark, but I don't know if that. No, no, that was later. That okay. was actually right before the Rocks, the show at the Rocks. Oh, okay. Let's put on a show. 
those kind of overlapped. I mean, we can fast forward. I, Annie, get I your did, gun. I remember that. Annie, get, Annie, get your. Oh, that was with the Claremont. Um, that was at the Claremont Playhouse with the Claremont kids. Mm-hmm. Um, Carly Moultrie was the director and creative director of the Claremont kids. That was a lot of fun. So I did. I think I did a couple, a play or two with them. Um, I was sort of. I was pretty. You know close to Ben Harper. Mm-hmm. Ben Harper was what he was in the Claremont kids at the same time. And, um, Roseanne Lindley, who her dad is David Lindley, who's a legendary guitar player. Oh, just cool. insanely, insanely talented man. And, you know, I'm, here's a funny story. You I'm, may- I'm, at, I'm at this tender, you know, this age and I'm around all these, you know, I mean, Ben, nobody knew Ben Harper yeah. at the time. He's just Ben, but, but, you know, Roseanne's, step uh, uh not uh, her uh godmother was linda ronstadt linda oh, ronstadt wow. came to see us <laughs> came to see me i was gonna say she came to see me <laughs> in a play can you believe that yeah she didn't even know me and she came to see me That's and then applauded amazing. for me at the end of roseanne's numbers really quick story that you may or may not know when i was in i think fourth grade um the the teacher my teacher was telling us about uh, a production of The Wizard of Oz. It was going to be at the, oh. in Claremont, mm-hmm. where they were, and um, it was you know, kid, kids are going to be performing in it. And I think maybe possibly, I might have done just a little, just like a classroom play, nothing even huge, but mm-hmm. you know, but it was fun. And I, I think I, I loved movies and stuff, so I, I think maybe I was thinking, well, that that could be something fun, you know. So uh, so I asked uh, so I asked her mom to take me out there, and we and you know I, I'd never been on an audition, I didn't know what was what. And so we got there. I guess it, you know, basically, a, they didn't call it a cattle call, but you know, it's sort of an open audition. And uh, when I, I guess when I signed in or whatever, all they saw was Lestraps. And, and so all they knew was like, oh, Greg, oh. Uh, and then Lestraps. they started nudging each other. Oh, this this is going to be good. Now we're in. And so then all I Get knew, ready to be entertained. <laughs> so the second they saw Lestraps, I got pulled out of the general cattle. <laughs> And I went around to some like back alley area. There's like me, like four other kids. Yeah. And all of a sudden I was standing against the wall with these four other kids. And the I don't know who she was, what color the casting director started with the kid at the end. And we were just sort of like preparing to actually go on stage, I think. <laughs> and she started with the one kid. And I don't I, I don't even think she gave any directions. Like, well, go say go ahead. And just whatever go ahead meant, he started singing. And I was like, I don't know words to a song. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, and then you know, move to the next kit. Oh, he starts hilarious. singing, and then it's like it's like this horror movie. Like it's getting closer and closer to me. Not only can't I sing, I don't know the words to this song, and they clearly think I know more than I know. So I think by the time they were one kid away from me, just out of pure <laughs> panic, I I started crying. <laughs> so then That's she's hilarious. like looking at me, and then she doesn't know what's wrong, and then she uh, you know takes me back out to our mom and then uh, i never auditioned and can was- i just say right now i love it when you cry <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah so that was that's your, that's you amazing. you did that you can feel good about well, that. thank you i'm glad you didn't grow up to resent me <laughs> <laughs> but anyway but like you were saying both in claremont and at the rocks that you Claire, were surrounded by Claire, yeah, amazing people amazing people and um and in fact i ran into ben i hadn't, haven't talked to him in ages and ran into him at uh, we were it's going to see Jimmy Page being interviewed by Chris Cornell at the Ace oh, Hotel yeah, yeah. downtown. I remember that. And I was just, uh, you know, w- waiting for the valet to to bring my car back. And there's, you know, Ben Harper just now. I was like, oh, damn, it's Ben. And I went up and uh, said, hey, man, how's it going? And he's like, Greg Lestraps. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going. And then whoever he was standing with, he said some very nice things about me to her. And 
uh, that was very very nice to see him. That's awesome. Yeah, very sweet. And but listen, you you you've you've <laughs> you've been on you're no slouch. You've been on TV because I remember I have specific memories of you <clears> being <throat> on Three's Company and Different Strokes, yeah. two of my very favorite sitcoms. Just growing up. Just last night we. Um, uh, Katie and I watched Problem Child <laughs> with uh, with John the kids. Ritter. John Ritter, and you know what? I, that's a. I believe that movie is underappreciated. <laughs> I remember everybody hating that movie, and I probably jumped on that bandwagon. Oh, uh-huh. that was a bad movie. Too bad. John, it was a waste of John Ritter's comedic brilliance. But it's not a waste of his comedic brilliance at all. There, it's it's a little clunky in parts, but there's some. There's some really solid laughs in that film, so it's on Netflix. So I don't know. Oh, I didn't know that. Give a shot, yeah. But John Ritter, yeah. I I was. Here's the thing. You're you're jumping ahead a little. I know. I want to go back. Let's Please set, go let's back. set this up a, a little more. So, community theater. I did Claremont Kids, like maybe one or two shows. Jumped on over to the Gallery Theater in Ontario, which was the most amazing experience because you know we're talking about these things you know the the camera and then i would also we would make audio recordings of comic books me and you i would record (laughs) martin he would uh, do you remember this i don't but i like this story oh my god martin couldn't read he was like (laughs) four or five and i would drag him i'd say let's record let's record a comic book and i would pick pick a comic book or we would pick a comic book and my dad also had a reel-to-reel audio recorder and the microphone that shocked you in the face. <laughs> he used it. And I would record literally one or two words at a time <laughs> because that's all you could remember. I, can, I can't even imagine what it must be like listening to that. <laughs> so disjointed. But Martin saying, you know, like pages and pages of dialogue. This is how, you know, you're so patient when you're a kid, you know. <laughs> And that's what, yeah, we did that all the time. We did several comic books that way. But, but like what I was saying is that all of this stuff is, it's, we're talking about it in a linear fashion, but this is all happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Fifth grade is like that year when I was, you know, 10 years old in that summer, I had the best, I had the, the most amazing fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Burke, Mrs. Marianne Burke. Mm-hmm. Awesome. She was exactly the right teacher for me to have at exactly the right time. Um, cause I'm just this creative kid and curious and artistic and she recognized it and encouraged it and, uh, and prodded me and let me and gave me a lot of freedom, more freedom than anybody is allowed in a school anymore, <laughs> which is unfortunate yeah. because I don't think the, the stage is properly set for teachers like, like her, mm-hmm. you know, some teachers still manage to do it within the system, but they're so you know, locked down by standards and, you know, and stuff like that. But anyway, so the audio recording, recording things and that, it just made sense to, you know, start shooting films because I had the movie camera as well. I'm doing theater and theater teaches you something about making movies. Mm -hmm. You know, there are transferable skills that you learn in the theater. Mm -hmm. And, and then, yeah, so I started doing shows at, uh, <clears throat> the gallery theater, which was owned by a, a guy named uh, Mark Mark Ship, well Mark and his wife uh, Jean uh, Shipley, a Mormon family. They had uh, I don't know, like ten kids, I think. Uh, one of one of the kids, uh, Jared, was my age, and we were pretty tight. Uh, and his brother, his little brother, um, Josh Shipley, is he's 
he designs rides for your pleasure at Disneyland. He's, oh, no he's one of the, yeah, he's a, he's a very massively uh, creative guy and he's, you've seen his work. I guarantee you very talented guy as well. And I know, and you know why, because you're, it, it's cause not, this was the first time that a theater was like a playground to me. Mm-hmm. Cause you, you do things at, at the Claremont playhouse at the civic light opera. You don't have access to lights and stuff, but this was my friend's dad's theater. Mm-hmm. This was their backyard. So when the, you know, when the theater was dark, we're just in there playing. We're, we have a whole theater to ourselves and we're up in the control booth. He's showing me how to run lights <laughs> and we're, you know, it's like you do, you do your own little improvised plays when nobody's looking and it. And it was amazing and unforgettable. And it's all these things that sort of uh, conspired to, um, you know, yeah. make, make me interested in the things that interest still to this day interest me and, and make me very excited so when you did get to the roxy how old were you okay back up just a little, a little bit more okay we're almost there i promise thank goodness and that's going to do it for part one of my three-part conversation with my big brother greg lestraps uh, as you can see, I, I tried to uh, I tried to get him to talk about his experience in the Roxy during the '80s, but uh, but he wanted you guys to wait, so it's just gonna have to wait until until next week's. I I suspect, but uh, will he talk about it next week? You're just gonna have to show up to find out. In the meantime, uh, the the fact that uh, the the fact that I'm presenting. Uh, this this three-part conversation with you now uh that the timing is very interesting because um purely by coincidence uh and with no prior planning on on my part certainly uh just a few days ago on november 28th 2015 my brother greg lestraps who you just listened to for nearly an hour became a father for the third time which is very, very exciting for what well, is exciting for Greg, but it's also exciting for the family, especially because now I'm an I'm an uncle again. I've uh, I've been I've been uh, working on my uncle skills since uh, since 19, 1991, I believe, something like that. And uh, but you know it's it's never a bad thing to stay in practice, and it's always a good idea to have a a new kid to be an uncle to. Um, I, this, uh, I, I will be an uncle to a, a nephew born November 28th, 2015 at 6.10 in the PM. And his name is Felix Christopher Lestraps, weighing in at nearly nine pounds and stretching at, uh, 20 inches. Is that the appropriate baby terminology when you talk about how long they are stretching? If not, I'd like to, I like, I like to believe I, I coined that, so... Uh, so congratulations to my brother Greg and his girlfriend Katie, uh, who uh, who actually, as far as our family goes, too, uh, it's only since since 1991. This is only the second boy born uh, in the family. So so that's pretty exciting. Felix is going to have a lot of uh, a lot of pressure and expectations on his shoulders that he's not yet aware of. Although I figure starting at uh, eight and a half pounds and 19 and a half inches, he can he can bear such a load. I'm fairly certain that uh, that uh, that Greg and Katie have given birth to a to a Viking, a future Viking, and not not the football kind, but you know, the uh, 
the the big cool sort of historical you know thor god of lightning viking like this this child will probably grow up to be a, a marvel superhero that's the point that i'm trying to make anyway that's going to do it for this week's episode of the martin lestrap show podcast hour uh, before I go, uh, you know, let, 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 maybe there's a baby in your life and you need to buy them something, something baby-ish, like diapers or alcohol, then you could you can do that at Amazon.com. But before you go to Amazon.com, please go to the official website of this podcast, which you'll find at martinlessdrapshow.com. Once you get there, go to the shop page and then click on the Amazon banner. That'll take you to Amazon, and then you can buy all, buy all the diapers or formula or alcohol or Skittles you need for the baby in your life. And because you did that, Amazon will kick a few pennies back our way, and we get to take those pennies and reinvest them back into the podcast. And that allows us to make the Martinless Trap Show podcast hour as good as we can possibly make it, which is what we strive to do week after week after week. Also, if you're not already subscribed, please subscribe to the show on iTunes. It's free and it's convenient, and you're just going to be doing me a huge solid. Uh, if you're not an iTunes listener, catch the show on Stitcher Radio, which you can find at stitcher.com. It's also free. You don't have to subscribe, you know, but you can. And while you're on iTunes and or Stitcher, please leave a review. Uh, we love reviews. And again, you would just be doing us a huge solid here at the Martinless Trap Show Podcast Hour. Uh, let's see. Anything else before I wrap up? Yeah, nothing I can think of. So uh, enjoy the rest of your week, and uh, and we'll be back next week with part two of my conversation with the very talented and engaging Greg Lestraps. Uh So until next time, I will see you on the other side. 